I want to share with you, last week we talked about depression. And, and I guess I, I didn't realize what an impact it would make in your hearts and your and 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 I think it's because depression in some way, shape, or form has affected all of us. In fact, when I asked you to close your eyes and to raise your hand if you've ever struggled, had a bout with, or been challenged with depression, can I tell you, most of you raised your hand. And it's because it can happen to anyone. It comes in suddenly, it's like a fog, and, it can, and it's not easily dispelled once it settles in. But I do want to start off with this. We need to remember to start where we're at, do what we can, and use what you have. Now, that's a quote from Arthur Ashe, and I want to concentrate on the do, uh, use what you have. Can I tell you, if you are a child of the Most High God, you have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And that's going to be very, very important because you're going to see as we unfold this message that one of the ploys of the enemy is to help you feel, he wants you to feel alone, isolated. He wants you to feel like no one understands and you don't have anyone in your corner or on your side. And that's just simply not true. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. He resides within you. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he will see you through. And the enemy wants to, do more than, wants to do more than anything. He wants to convince you that you are alone. And that's not true. That's not true. So today, I want to cover the part two of, of our message that we started last week, and that's daunting depression. Yes, depression can feel daunting, can feel like it's something it's hard to overcome. We may never overcome it, but that's not true either because there is dynamic hope and his name is Jesus and he came to set the captive free and to heal the brokenhearted. And if you're brokenhearted, if you're down and depressed, if you're in the dumps, then he came for you. He came for you. Amen? But it starts off with understanding we have a problem. See, David gives us, gives us valuable insight on how to deal with depression, being overwhelmed, being down in the dumps or having the blues. What does he say to himself? In verse 5 of 42 of the psalm, he says this, why are you downcast? Why are you downcast? Oh, my soul. So he's speaking to himself. He's saying, David, why are you so blue? And why are you disquieted? Why are you overwhelmed to the point that you can't even speak? You have no words. You've lost your zest for life. Why are you disquieted within me? Now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I have no problem, nothing to see here, move along. Sometimes we're tempted to just ignore the problem. And sometimes as Christians, we feel like we don't have permission to get down. We feel like that's, that's a mark against our faith or our faithfulness. We feel like Christians don't get depressed. And we've been told this lie from the enemy because it means that you have to what? Shove it down, shove it down, shove it down. Try to, try to deny it, deny it, deny it. But it doesn't go away. It just grows. Why? Because we haven't dealt with it and we haven't given it to God and we haven't experienced his healing power. 
his healing power. And so the enemy wants us to try to deny it. He wants us to try to act like it doesn't exist. He wants us to feel guilty and shameful about feeling these things. But David, I love what he does. He just deals with it head on and he says, something's going on, David, what's happening to you? And it's so beautiful when he turns to the Lord. If you didn't get a chance to hear last week's message, go take a listen. Today I want to cover five individuals from God's word that struggled with depression, being downcast, being overwhelmed, and having the blues. Five individuals, and I want to show you from God's word that if you've ever felt like this, then you're in good company because this is a who's who. This isn't some obscure um, uh, uh, character in God's word you've never heard of. This is Moses, Job, Jonah, Elijah, the great prophet Jeremiah, and I could have included, I could have included the Apostle Paul. I could have included even Jesus himself, who felt the agony of living this life. Because life is hard, isn't it true? Life is hard. And so when the enemy comes at you, I want to show you from these men's examples that you're not alone in feeling this way, and just the way God was with them, he will be with you. First and foremost, Moses. Moses experienced anguish. He was anguished. Moses was anguished. What do we mean by anguish? Well, the Bible, uh, not the Bible, the dictionary says experiencing or expressing severe mental or physical pain or suffering. He was really going through it. Now notice, it's severe mental, physical suffering. But I want to go a step further. It's not just physical and emotional. Let's complete the, 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 the triangle here. It's also spiritual. And you'll see that he was having a crisis of faith. Now, I want, to, I want you to ask the very val valuable question. Why was Moses feeling this way? Because it's in the why. It's in the same thing that David said. Remember, David looks at himself and he says, why, David, are you so down? It's in the why was Moses so down that we understand why we might be down. And notice what Moses says to God. He says to God in Numbers eleven fifteen. 15, he says, if this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Hello. Some of you are saying, I had no idea this great man of God felt like this. But, but this is super important. Who is he talking to? Come on, who is he talking to? His wife? His brother? His friend? Yes, his friend, God. He's talking to God. And he's saying, if this is how you, well, what is God doing to him? This is very, very interesting. Because you're going to see that even in the book of Exodus, he says this to, to, to God. He says, yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not... I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. 
What is he saying? He's saying this. After he finds these people that he has been called to lead, worshiping a golden calf that they made, and it is a foreign God and detestable to the one true God, and they're giving their allegiance, their worship to this idol, and he comes down from the mountain after spending time with God, and he sees this, and, and God says, I'm going to wipe them out, and he says, I can't handle it, Lord. If, you, if, if all of this is taking place, you know what? Just wipe me out with them. Then he goes on in, the, in, in Numbers and says, you know what? If this is the way you're going to treat me, just, just do away with me. What is happening? This is what he's doing. He is taking on the weight of the world. He's taking on too much. And can I tell you, when you take on too much, it will crush you. Come on, how many of us have spent time at night tossing and turning only to have one question uh, go into another question, into another problem, into another question, into another problem, and there is no end. And before long, you feel like the room is closing in and the weight of the world is on your chest. And it's because Moses has not remember that it's, it's important to be responsible to, but not for. What's the difference between res- being responsible to and not for? That means I'm responsible to you to be the pastor God's called me to be. I cannot be responsible for you. This was hard for me to learn because early on, I thought I had to be responsible for your marriages. And sometimes people would come and share with me their hurts and their trials and and the things that they're going through in their marriage and with their families and with their children. And I would take that burden on my own shoulders and they would walk off feeling so refreshed because of my advice or whatever. But then I would stay watchful over them and I saw they cared less about their problem than I did. I mean, they flipped it on me. Somehow, I'm sitting there worried about their marriage. I'm going, you are about to go off a cliff, and do you not realize what you're doing and what it will do to your children and how it will affect your generations? Oh, my goodness, I'd be so wrought up. And then God said, that's not yours. Cast it on me. And so now when I counsel, when I share, when I, when I deal with these things, I say, Lord, these are your children, not mine. I'm called to be responsible too, not for And so I will do what you've called me to do, God, but they're yours. And you know why I know this is what's happening in Moses' life? Because in that same passage in Numbers, Moses says this to God, Lord, it's not fair that you gave me these people, these crazy people. Now, what's going on? They're constantly complaining. They're constantly having issues. I mean, they're sitting there going, we want food. God gives them food from heaven. And then they say, this food is boring. It's so bland. I don't like heaven food. I want some meat. We want meat. I want a good old-fashioned ribeye. I want a good old, (laughs) Miss Paula's like, yes. I want a good old-fashioned filet. I want some real ribs. I want something with some meat on the bones. You know, and so then they start saying this. Oh, guys, do you remember what it was like in Egypt? You were slaves. What are you talking about what it was like in Egypt? And they start bemoaning how great it was in Egypt. And Moses is going, you ungrateful people. And this is what he says to God. He says, it's not fair to treat me this way, Lord. You put all these people on me. And I got to carry them around like a mom. Like a wet nurse. I got to hold them through the desert. And they're crying all day long. Oh, they won't be quiet. They won't be pacified. Even if I have to put them in my breast to eat, I got to take care of their every waking need. It's not fair. Come on. Does anyone relate to Moses? 
Does anyone feel like, you know what, my family always comes to me, my work, I'm carrying their burdens, I'm carrying everybody around me's burden. I, Calgon, take me away. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you are saying, what is that? I just dated myself, didn't I? I just dated myself. Oh, man, don't ever do that. So, so what I'm trying to get you to understand is he's putting too much on him, and he's at his breaking point. So what does God do? Watch what God does for him. God says this, then the Lord said to Moses, gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel, bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with me, and I will come down and talk Come on now. Do you see what God is doing? Bring me 70 men that you can share this with. How hard is that to do sometimes? Some of you think that if you start sharing the burden, you won't be as important. Mom, dad, older brother, older sister. But yet God is saying, no, 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 you're going to learn how to delegate and how to share this. And you're going to see that as I am with you, I can be with, oh, this is big, especially for pastors, because as I am with you, pastor, I can be with the men of your church, with the ladies of your church, with the families of your church. I can, the same spirit that talks to you will talk, oh, come on now, come on now. Some dads, some grandpas need to hear that. Quit carrying it all. Bring your family together and say, you know what? I'm going to anoint you right now with the, with the ability to hear the Spirit of God just the way I hear it. And we're going to do this together. Now watch what he says. Stand here. I will come down, talk to you there, and I will take some of the Spirit that is upon you, and I will put, it, I will put the Spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you, and you will not have to carry it alone. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. You know what I find interesting is that this is something we should remember, guys. So far, Moses has survived 100% of the worst days. Say that again. Moses has survived 100% of his worst days. You know what's interesting? The enemy always has you focus on this worst day instead of looking back to your past worst days and saying, no, if God was with me there and he gave me enough strength, he'll give me enough strength to accomplish this one too. <laughs> Amen. But he wants you to get tunnel vision and say, oh, he brought me to this point just to kill me. Just to kill me. No, that's not true. And so I want us to look now at Job. You say, but what happened with Moses' anguish? God provided support. God provided support. Job felt abandoned. How many of you have ever felt this way? Where even your wife or your spouse turns against you. You feel so abandoned that you don't even have your closest loved one who is really being caring. Listen to what his wife says. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and... Wow. They need to come to our marriage intensive. <laughs> Amen. So bad was Job's situation and predicament that he said this, why did I not die at birth? Why was I not stillborn? 
Why did, I, why did I not perish when I came forth from the womb? I am not at ease, nor am I, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble keeps coming. I would plead with God. My soul loathes my life. I will give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. You say, Pastor, I'm having trouble understanding that. Well, let's read it from the uh, NLT. The NLT puts it this way. I am disgusted with my life. Let me complain freely. My bitter soul must complain. Come on, how many of us are only see the bad and all we do is complain? And this is something about complainers. They run off good people. The more you complain, the more you'll find yourself with more complainers. Because non-complainers are like, I'm out. And so be careful with this. But what is going on with Job? I'm going to drop down to ver uh, chapter 23, verse 8 and 9. Are you with me? Watch what he says. I go east, but he is not there. I go west, and I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. What is, God, what is Job saying there in the word of God? He's saying, everywhere I look, I can't find God. Why? Because he feels abandoned. Can I tell you something the enemy keeps doing in these verses? You'll see. He wants you to feel abandoned, alone, like God has given up on you. And I'll tell you something else that's going on in Job's life, why he feels abandoned, because the enemy is on him like a duck on a June bug. He's on him like, like white on rice. You say, uh, uh, what does that look like? Have you ever seen a, a little cat grab hold of a prey? I have this wonderful little cat. She, is, uh, she was abandoned. And she found us. And since then, we nursed her uh, with a little bottle, and we, we've kept her, and, and, and I wanted to get rid of her, but now she has warmed my heart, because this little cat is like a little dog, <laughs> and it's something. You can tell kind of person I am. I, I compare her to a dog, because she's like right there with me, and I go, come on, let's go. And she'll come with me, and we do different things. And yesterday, I was working out, and as I was working out, I saw a cricket, and I said, hey. Kitty, come get this cricket. Boy, she jumped on that cricket. And well, she would just, some of you feel like the devil has jumped on your life and he's just throwing you up in the air and gnawing on you a little bit. And just when you lay for dead, he hits you again to make sure you're still alive. And then he just keeps gnawing on you. And you feel like, man, I can't take anymore. That's where Job was. And you start to feel, I can't take anymore. And why is this happening to me? And the enemy will be quick to tell you because you don't really belong to him. He's left you. But can I tell you, he is a liar and God's word is true. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. His love is everlasting. He loves you with an everlasting love. His mercy endures forever. And you are free from condemnation, because there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's the truth. But the enemy wants you to feel alone, just like he wanted Job to feel alone. And in, in, his, in that feeling of abandonment, God shows up and begins to speak to Job. Can I tell you, even when the enemy is on you and he's messing with your life and he's trying to do something 
to harm you, God will use it for good. This is why the Bible reminds you what the enemy means for evil, God will use to bless you. He will use it to, to prop you up, to give you hope in a future. God is for you. You say, but how do you know this? Because I've experienced it even in my own life. And I have felt those deep, dark nights of the soul where the enemy is on me and he's, he's trying to riddle me with thoughts of abandonment and anguish and all these other thoughts of fear, of trying to create me being afraid. And so, so I can remember talking to God and I couldn't hear God and God wasn't there. And I just kept trying to feel for him. I'm like, why is this happening, Lord? Why is this happening? Do I really belong to you? And then God says, you're asking the wrong question. You already know that that you are mine, and I never, 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 never take my love back. You are safe and secure. The question is not whether you belong to me. The question is, what do I want from you, and what am I accomplishing? And he said, even this enemy's attack is bringing you closer to me. And he says, now begin to look over your life over these past months, what has transpired. You have prayed more. You have focused more. You have pressed in more. You have longed for me. You have cried out for me. That's not by accident. That was divinely inspired. And I work all things, all things, not some things, all things. Therefore, be grateful for all circumstances in all situations because I am working and I love you. Oh, I just began to praise in that moment. I began to praise in that moment. And I believe that's what happened with Job when he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know it deep down in my heart. I am not abandoned. I may be pressed, but I'm not crushed. Oh, yes, I'm not abandoned. That in the end, I will stand on the earth, and that after my skin has, has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, and I and not another, right? How my heart yearns within me. I cannot wait, Lord. And so you might be anguished, but God will provide help. You might feel abandoned, but God will show up because he never left. And Elijah reminds us not to be afraid, because Elijah was afraid. He was seriously afraid. Listen to what happens here. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might what? This is the great prophet of God. And watch what he says. It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. What's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. He was exhausted. Moses took on too much. Elijah did too much. Some of us are taking on too much and doing too much. You're burning it at both ends. No wonder you're down. No wonder you're down. What did he do? He took on 450 false prophets at Mount Carmel. He built an altar. Have you seen what the altars look like? I went to, uh, I went to, in Israel, and they showed me an old altar that had been destroyed from the time of Moses. 
and these rocks are this big. You know how much strength it took for him to build that altar and then to dig the trench and then to haul back the vats of water to fill that trench? He was by himself. And then he calls and he waits for the prophets to do their thing. And then once they've, got, they've had enough, oh, plus he was talking noise. He was taunting them. While they were doing their thing and cutting themselves and nothing was happening, he's like, hey, where's your God? Did he, did he go to the restroom? Is he taking a nap? Because my God never slumbers. Sit down, watch. And he calls down fire from heaven and God laps up the water, the offering, everything. And he says, yeah, man. And then he he, he leads a battle cry and a charge to take every one of those false prophets and put them to death by the sword. Is that easy? He's exhausted. Then he runs a marathon in front of a chariot, and he's just going for it because guess what? When you feel the anointing of Almighty God, sometimes your body gets ahead of your spirit. Anyone ever been there? Anyone ever feel like, man, I can leap tall buildings, I can do anything, but eventually you're going to have to get some rest. And if you don't get rest, that's when the enemy uses your weakness to come in and he makes you focus on your weakness. And so he begins to focus on his weakness, and in his weakness, he begins to pray these things. I've had enough. Take my life, Lord, for I am no better than my... Who told him he was better in the first place than his parents? Who told him he was better than his ancestors? See, when he was feeling mighty and strong, he thought, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a class above. But then when you're feeling weak, you feel below. I'm not even as good as my daddy. I'm nobody. Come on, anyone ever have a pity party? And what happens is the enemy has you focusing on you. And God is saying, you didn't do any of that. I did it. I'm the wind beneath your wings. I'm the one that lifts you up. I'm the one that gives you strength. I'm the one that anointed you. I'm the one that brought down fire. I'm the one. Why are you focusing on you? No, you need to get, but this is what happens. When we get run down physically, we will always look inward. So keep your health right. And notice what God does. God takes him and he begins to minister to him so compassionately. He gives him rest. He lets him sleep. And there in the shade and the coolness of the day and the night, he gives him rest and then he wakes him up and he gives him food and nourishment and he nourishes. Some of us need to nourish our bodies and let ourselves recharge. Come on, you know who I'm talking to. If that's you, you need to make a commitment. I need to slow down and take. Now, you know what's so interesting to me? That the man that wished he could die never died. The Bible shows us that when God got ready to call him home, he didn't die like the rest of us have died. Oh, not us, but those before us. God took him home in a mighty whirlwind. It's like God was saying, no, 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 no. I have so much more for you. I have so much more for you, son. You're not going to die. Not only are you not going to die, I'm going to come for you personally. I'm going to bring you up with my own hand. I'm going to bring you close. You're going to hear my words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Go take a rest on the bench because I'm going to put you back in the game at the seven years of tribulation. You will be one of my mighty prophets that calls down fire again. You need to get, come on, you need to get healed up because I'm not done with you. 
Some of you need to hear the word of the Lord. I'm not done with you. Not only are you not going to die, I still have more for you to do. And then next is Jonah. Jonah was annoyed. No, no, that's not strong enough. He was angry. But let me ask you, who was he angry with? Anyone? He was angry with God. How do we know he was angry with God? Well, we'll read with me in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly that he became angry. And so he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I knew you were a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. What in the world is he talking about? Let me share with you. Jonah was asked by God to go share a salvation message with an evil, brutal enemy of his. Have you ever been asked to do that? Oh, yeah, you were. Jesus said, go ye therefore and love your neighbor. And behold, I tell you, not just your neighbor, but your enemy. And so here God is always about those that need salvation. And so he says, go share with your enemy, which you don't know or may not realize that the Assyrians were, were a brutal enemy of Israel because they attacked them, they would brutalize them, they would harm them, and, and, and they had a hard time um, with the Assyrian nation. And here God says, I, have, I am judging Nineveh, the capital. But before I bring judgment, I need you to go preach repentance. Give them a chance to repent. Come on, hallelujah for the Lamb of God, right? Hallelujah that God doesn't just bring judgment. Thank you, Jesus, that you always give us an opportunity to repent. And so he brings this he, no, does he bring the message? No. He takes off in the opposite direction. He says, I won't do it. Did you know that's why he was running from God? He said, I won't do it. So God had to what? Motivate him. Three days in the belly of a fish will motivate you. Come on. <laughs> if I can imagine by that third night, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. The fish spits him out. He's glowing from head to toe with the presence of the living God. Because some people say because the gastric acids kind of <laughs> made him pale and he looked, he looked like, like a, the bright sun or something. I don't know what was happening, but, but he looked different. And he shows up and he preaches salvation and they repent. And now he's busted and disgusted on the edge of town. He's looking over the town. Why is he at the edge of town? Because he's like, I was waiting for Sodom and Gomorrah God. Come on, rain down fire. Bring the heat. Let's do this, Lord. They needed God. And what does he say to God? I knew you were a big softy. I knew you didn't have the heart to really torch them. You always forgive if only they ask. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that what 1 John says? I will forgive if only you ask. James says, you have not because you ask not. You have no forgiveness because you haven't asked for it. Because to ask for it means to repent. 
means to humble yourself, means to say, Lord, I'm done doing it my way. I'm going to do it your way. And they did that. Nineveh actually did that. And so Jonah is on the edge of town, upset. He's mad at God. And therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me. Oh, wait, I'm reading uh, the wrong one. Here, I, here, I, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm in the right place. Therefore now, God, <coughs> oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And watch what God asks Jonah. Then the Lord said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? And this is something very interesting that the Lord does. And I want you to, to I want to highlight for, for you. What he does is this. He, he's on the edge of town. He's getting scorched by the sun. And he has a vine grow up supernaturally to give him shade, like overnight. And Jonah momentarily takes pleasure in this vine. Come on, how many of us can see what God is doing? God is saying, you're still angry with me, but it's funny how you are pacified by my what? By my blessings. Some of us need to search real hard in our hearts and deal with that anger even though we may be pacified by God's blessings. Some of us still have that anger in there, but we're like, okay, Lord, at least you bless me with this. I won't say too much because you bless me with this, but you know what God does to Jonah? Jonah he says, no, we've got to settle this, Jonah. So he has, he has the vine shrivel up and die just as quickly as it came, it went even quicker. Now Jonah's angry again, and God is saying, there it is. It's still been there the whole time. And why is he angry? Because he's so worried about trying to control God. Come on, how many of us know you can't control God? You were called to serve him. He's not called to serve you. I know some preachers have mixed it up a lot and have mixed up the church in America a lot because they've said, oh, you're going to be healthy and wealthy. All you got to do is name it and claim it. All you got to do is blab it and grab it. All you got to... <laughs> and we keep teaching the, this old prosperity gospel that's not true, that if you have enough faith, God will do whatever you want. Yet the Bible says something different. We keep teaching that if you rub the lamp of God, this is the lamp of God. If I rub it the right way, then he'll come out and he'll begin to sing to me. Hey, Mr. Aladdin, what is your pleasure, please? Oh, you ain't never had a friend like me, right? And we're like, oh, yes, Lord, my friend of God. And yet God says, my ways are higher than your ways. You don't understand. No one can say to me that they have counseled me. No one can say that I owe them. Why do you stand before me and say, pay your debt, God, you owe me? I do what I want, when I want, for as long as I want, with who I want, in the way I want, and no one can question what I do is what the Bible says all throughout the scripture. So when Jonah's sitting here broke, busted, and disgusted at God, it's because he can't control God. He said, why didn't you destroy them? And sometimes we do the same thing because inwardly we're envious and jealous and we compare and we're like, I thought you were going to tear up their marriage, Lord, or at least make him suffer. And now you put it back together and he's ahead of me. 
Now, come on. Oh, I'm so sad for you, brother. But then you're like, they kind of deserve it, Lord. <laughs> Humble them. Humble them. Then God turns it around for them. You're like, I can't believe it. With their half-living self, they don't even show up to church. They hadn't even made one disciple. And look at them coming here with a new truck. God doing all this for them. God. And you wonder why you're depressed. Because you're fighting with God. Instead of letting God love and be who he wants to be. And say, Lord, I am the sheep of your pasture. You do what you want, when you want, how you want. God, just thank you for letting me be part of the family. Amen. And so, the last one I want to talk to you about, yes, give him praise, give him glory. The last one I want to talk to you about is Jeremiah. Jeremiah was different from Moses, and Moses felt anguish, right? Job felt abandonment. Elijah felt afraid. Jonah felt annoyed or downright angry. And Jeremiah just felt alone. He felt alone. How do we know he felt alone? Because he expresses it when he says this. He says, why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow, that my days should be consumed with shame? Then I said, what sorrow is mine, my mother? Oh, that I had died at birth. I am hated everywhere I go. I am neither a lender who threatens to foreclose, nor a borrower who refuses to pay. Yet they all curse me. I love that. He's saying, I'm not a, bar a, a lender that people have to hide from me. I'm not a borrower that doesn't pay my debts, that people are angry with me. But yet I'm worse than both of them. Why? I'll tell you why. Because God called him with a message that was anti what Israel wanted to hear. Israel wanted to hear, good, good, good. Tell us we're going to be blessed. Tell us we're going to be blessed. And Jeremiah came with a message of what? Judgment saying, you're going to be judged. And so he felt completely alone. Why? Because sometimes we feel completely alone when we have to stand by ourselves in a family that doesn't understand, in a workplace that doesn't understand, and you're the only Christian, in a place where you're the only influence speaking for righteousness. And everybody looks at you like, what's wrong with you? You mean you don't want to do this? You mean you don't talk about your spouse that way? You mean you don't go to happy hour? You know, it won't hurt. What? You see what I'm saying? And you start to realize, man, I'm alone. And then the devil says, you are alone. You are alone. But that couldn't be further from the truth. That couldn't be further from the truth. Because what Jeremiah comes to see is this. That stand for righteousness that he's taking, that stand for righteousness, he comes to this re realization in the book of Lamentations. You say, why does he have a book called Lamentations? Do you know Lamentations means weeping, crying, sorrow? And he is known as the weeping prophet because God gave him this message to go counter the grain. Do you know God has called you to be counter-cultural? God says, be ye not conformed to the what? 
pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For you are God's holy priesthood, chosen people, special generation, unique and peculiar. You are misfits in a world that will not ever understand you. But be of good cheer. Be of good courage. Gird yourself up in the fact that God is your inheritance. Listen to what he said. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. I will hope in him. And it's Jeremiah that gave the church, and not just the church, but his people, the beautiful words that say, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And you will go through your 70 years of captivity. You will go through what needs to be gone through, but I will be there, and I know it's for your own good. Come on, someone needs to say hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Lord, you are my hope. I've been down, but I'm not out. It's been hard, but not hard enough, because you still stand with me, God. I've got this. I've got this in the name of Jesus. I know the plans God has for plans to prosper me and not to harm me. So right here, before we go any further, would you just take a moment between you and the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, Spirit of the living God, what's going on in me? Talk to yourself like David did. Should I learn from one of these men or maybe a few of them. Maybe I am feeling isolated and alone. Maybe I have been a little angry with you, Lord. And Yes, your blessings pacify me, but there's something deeper that I need to get to. Maybe I've been taking on too many burdens and I need to give them to you. I need to accept the help of others and believe that the Holy Spirit that works in me will work in them. I don't know what it is, but I do know that it's important to recharge. We've been really going, and, and I've been, my teaching schedule has been a lot, and I love it, but I can feel myself getting tired. Because usually I can't wait to preach. And this morning I was like, man, maybe I can get away with just doing a prayer service or something. <laughs> and that told me it's time to get away. So we're going to be heading out for vacation to recharge. And I want you guys to let the spirit of the living God lead you to remain faithful, even if I'm out. What do I mean by that? I mean, Pastor Jamie is going to preach next week. Yes, Pastor Jamie will be preaching. And, uh, and when he preaches, I want you to show up in full force and come in ready to receive from him. See, a lot of times when I'm going to be out, people say, oh, vacation time. It's time. But if you're on vacation, then great. But if you're not on vacation, come to the house of God. Amen? Hear what God has for you, because I promise you, you'll miss something. Amen? So, so be faithful, lift him up, and then pray for our family as we get recharged. If you need to get recharged, take the time, talk it out with the Holy Spirit, reach out to the loved one, get the help you need. Get the help you need. I love you, church. As you take your communion cup, would you just say, 
Spirit of the living God, I trust you to be enough for me. I trust your word, Lord. And I know that you'll never leave me or forsake me and that you are my hope. As David said in Psalms 139, search me and know me, Lord. What David meant is help me know myself, Lord, as you search me. Help me know my anxious thoughts that I might surrender them to you. After all, you paid for it at the cross and we are forever grateful. His body was broken for us and his blood was shed. Thank you, Lord Jesus, until you return. Amen. Church, I love you. Have a great, great week. Jesus has